This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back, folks. Tan Trung, WWL multimedia journalist, joins us on his release of his new podcast. Tan, welcome to the show. Neil, thanks for having me. So the new podcast, a little bit about the 57th governor for the great state of Louisiana, Jeff Landry, as he comes in. And you kind of set a landscape of Republicans and Democratic parties, where they find themselves and where we go in the the near future. Yeah, you know, and I think if you recall last year, Newell, when I was taking a look at some of the major headlines politically that we might be seeing in 2023. I sat down with political science professor Ed Shervinak, who is teaching at the University of New Orleans, and he said, you know, the governor's race is going to be the, the big headline. And I figured, well, let's let's follow up with that now that Governor Landry is now actually the governor. And, you know, I wanted to take a look at some of the political landscape and some of the political headlines and this really big shift of what we're seeing now in Louisiana from the John Bell Edwards administration to now a Governor Landry administration and what it means to have a completely Republican-controlled state legislature and the governor's mansion. I think that, you know, it's, it's a worthy subject to take a look at because these are kind of shifts that we haven't really seen in a long time in Louisiana. Yeah, I don't remember the last time that we had a supermajority in the House, supermajority in the Senate, both of the same party as the executive branch, the governor, uh, that 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 aligned. I, I know you talked to Ed Shervinak, and I'm not sure whether he remembers a time that that actually existed. Yeah, it, it's hard to say. I mean, the, the, the last time that I saw that there was – a majority that we we saw with Democrats, I think you'd have to go back to the 90s, and I I could be mistaken, but just think about it this way. In 1991, there was only one Republican who held a statewide office, which is pretty bonkers if you take a look at the political landscape and, and the shift from Democrat to Republican in Louisiana. But, you know, that, that was just a matter of 30 years ago. But now we have a situation and a, a dynamic where you have Governor Landry, who many people would consider a model MAGA Republican, uh, in line with a supermajority in the state legislature. And we're already seeing some of the uh, kind of advancements of policies and plans uh, early on in the Landry administration with the redistricting and also his emphasis on fighting crime, which was something that he really campaigned Uh, intensely during that time that he was running for governor. So we're already seeing it. And I think that as we're looking at, you know, coming into this presidential election, what's going to be 
happening there. And, you know, and I hate to say that we're not necessarily in play, but it's going to be less dramatic here because, you know, the Democratic Party uh, nationally won't pay attention too much to Louisiana. And if the former president is going to be the, the nominee, then by all intents and purposes, you, you already have something that's going to be a shoe in for the Republican candidate there. But, you know, I think more or less, the emphasis and I think the concentration of this episode for the podcast was really to take a look at dynamic of what's going to be for Louisiana and what we should expect for Louisiana as we're seeing the supermajority held by the Republicans and really the struggles of the Democratic Party within Louisiana. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, when you have the overlay of voter apathy in general, right, it doesn't matter if there's mm-hmm. a DNR or an independent, uh, we look at um, – the numbers of turnout, uh, they're, they're deplorable. I mean, I remember when I first oh, started absolutely. voting as, as an 18-year-old back in 1976, uh, the turnout was far greater than, than what it is now. I mean, I, I, in fact, I remember as a young kid with going with my parents waiting in lines uh, to vote mm-hmm. for sometimes as long as an hour in presidential elections or two hours in a presidential election. You don't see that any longer. No, no. And you, you take a look at just the gubernatorial race that we had in, in November, and, and you see Governor Landry clearing and bypassing a runoff. Um, yes, he won more than 50 percent of the vote, but the, the overall turnout for that particular race in that particular election cycle was 36 percent. Uh, that That is, as you say, it's deplorable. It's abysmal. And then if you're the Democratic Party, you look at Democratic turnout in a very Democratic area like New Orleans, uh, it was below 20 percent. And you have real struggles there if if you're a Democrat in Louisiana, if you're part of the Democratic Party. But overall, regardless of whether you have an R or a D or if you're an independent, if you look at the voter turnout in Louisiana and you have some real sources of concern, I mean, I'd, I'd say that, you know, there's probably more interest in you know, the, the last play of the, the Saints game this last season uh, than there was probably in the voter turnout. And that, that's saying something about where Louisiana is politically. Yeah, and I know that in, in the podcast, Ed Shervinak talked a, a lot about the problems of the Democratic Party in, in, in light of uh, this, this whipping that they took, so to speak, and, you know, with uh, uh, Jeff Landry winning in the first. And I say this often that it's it's odd when the best thing the Democrats have going for them is the Republican Party and the best thing the Republican Party has going for them is the Democratic Party. And what I mean by that, there's complete total dysfunction on both sides of that aisle, and that that's the the best characteristic or attribute that they have going for them is how bad the yeah. opposing party is. You know, it's a sad commentary. Yeah. It's a sad commentary, but it, it's it's a very very accurate insight. And, you know, I, I, you know, it's the beating that you I don't think anybody in the Democratic Party in Louisiana is going to argue with that. It, it was a, a, a bad beating uh, that Sean Wilson took uh, in, in that race. And you look at the, the internal distress that the Democratic Party in Louisiana is undergoing right now. Many of the, the members within the party itself are calling for Katie Bernhardt, who is the, the chief uh, and the chair of the Democratic Party in Louisiana, to step down. Um, you know, they had real struggles to produce uh, what many would consider a, a viable candidate, a candidate that would 
cause people or propel people to go to the voting rolls and uh, go to the polls. Uh, they had struggles in fundraising. And as Ed Chervenak uh, said in the podcast, you know, the, the national party on the Democratic side basically looked at Louisiana and said, you know, we're, we're not going to divert and we're not going to put resources, a.k.a. money, uh, into helping any of the races because they, there wasn't much confidence that the Democratic Party here in Louisiana would do much with the, those resources. So I think, you know, and, and as I was sitting down with uh, Dr. Shervinak last year, he said, look, the Demo- and I asked him, you know, wh- where are the Democrats in this? He said the Democratic Party in Louisiana is lost in the woods. A year later, uh, he said that they're deeper in the woods right now, and it's going to take a, a considerable amount of time an effort for the Democratic Party to find itself here in Louisiana, which, again, 30 years ago was a very viable and very powerful party in in the state. But within a matter of 30 years now, you have uh, a majority kind of stronghold held by the the Republicans, both in the governor's mansion and now in the state legislature. A couple of things that were interesting. I think you probably interviewed Ed Shervinak before the end of the special session, and uh, both of you said something along the lines of that Republicans will factionalize, and it turns out they did uh, to some extent yeah. in the, yeah. the first special session. And also uh, whether this particular landscape, right, with um, supermajorities in the House and the Senate and and you align from a party perspective with the executive department, whether or not that's going to be uh, a, a challenge uh, or, is, or is it an opportunity as it relates to budget, as it relates to a, a bunch of different issues. And I, I get the sense that, that governing in some respect is complicated by that fact uh, because you might get too comfortable knowing that every, you know, everything's aligning for you and I think it revealed itself in his first legislative in his special session that it's not going to totally align 100 percent. And it's not going to take much to factionalize on, on some of these issues if you don't really work it and do your homework. Uh, when you know you're behind the eight ball, you tend to work harder, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, and that is the, the human element of politics. You know, yeah. politics is, yeah. uh, you know at its core uh, about human nature and the human uh, interactions between people. And even if you have, you know, the, the R next to your name and, and next to your office, as you do now in, in state government in Louisiana, that doesn't guarantee that there's going to be smooth sailing throughout. And as you saw, I mean, with the redistricting process, uh, some Republicans emerged and going against the plan, some for it, and there's reasons why for it. Uh, and they held their respective positions. Um, but, you know, when you have basically a, a possible echo chamber, um, which is something that could possibly happen here, where everybody aligns, um, that, that's nice on paper. But when it comes time to politics and people's interests and whether they, they want to hold their positions uh, and the reasons why they do, uh, that's not always going to be a, a recipe for success. And, you know, at, at this point, too, Sometimes you need a, a dissenting opinion. There's a reason why that you know that we have this this process of having differing opinions. Um, but I think Dr. Shervinak placed it best. It's like, look, at this point, the Republicans run the show. Um, that's good in the sense that they can get their policies and plans in place and, and push them through. 
Um, but you also own the failures. I mean, if, if there's successes, you own it. If there's failures, you own it as well. Um, and that is the, the challenge that they might have. And it'll be, I think, very interesting to kind of see what, what the process is going to be and how they'll proceed in having this supermajority. And I think it's also going to be interesting with the, the relationship that the governor is going to have with the city of New Orleans, because uh, as we discussed in the podcast, you know, it, it's very easy. And, you know, as a attorney general, Jeff Landry never really shied away from taking shots at New Orleans. But now that he's governor, New Orleans is a very pivotal key and a key component of the state's economy. Um, and, you know, as a candidate, it, it's very easy to swipe at New Orleans and the leadership here, but now you have to work with them because there's a there's a vested interest of the governor of Louisiana to have New Orleans be successful, to lower the crime rate, to increase tourism, to generate more tax revenue. Um, so I think, in, you know, that dynamic between the mayor of New Orleans, you're already seeing it with the district attorney, um, there's relationships being forged now, and now we're also having, you know, the supplemental kind of contingent from Louisiana State Police, where they're going to have a, a troop dedicated, about 40 troopers dedicated to helping to police the city of New Orleans because of the depleted numbers that we have in NOPD. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out, because I, I think yeah. um, that you believe and I believe as well, all things kind of flow through New Orleans, right? They have the international identity. They have the national identity here in the state of Louisiana, you know, the, the major port facilities in and immediately adjacent to the city of New Orleans that fall under the jurisdiction of that port, which is actually operated by the state, not by the city, um, mm. you know, is very, very important. So a lot of things flow through New Orleans. And where we go with this next special session of criminal justice reform, to me, is going to be very important. The reinvestment side of it, I think, has failed uh, but there are some other provisions in there I didn't necessarily agree with, but I understood why they put them in there because the the cost of doing business uh, is mm-hmm. is incredibly high. I certainly hope we come out with something more than just 40 troopers coming to New Orleans because 40 troopers coming to New Orleans is a drop in the bucket. And if you look at it from the fact that there are eight uh, districts, right, um, mm-hmm. that's five troopers in each district that's not moving the needle and i keep hearing this you know rhetoric and dialogue about moving the needle down here and and having you know five troopers and running as free agents kind of so to speak in 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 each district that ain't moving the needle uh you know and it, it needs to be a very closely delineated uh strategic plan I don't see it, and I don't see much that has come to the forefront yet in preparation for this um, criminal justice uh, reform special session. We were talking to Tanner McGee, uh, former Louisiana state representative that that resigned and didn't run for reelection, could have but decided not to, um, you know, say that it's, um, you know, a lot of what should be being bannered about in, in the advent of that special session, he talked to some of his peers mm-hmm. the other day. They've seen nothing. And this is very complicated um, policy stuff. And it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But if they if they really believe that they're going to get the sound bites on 40 troopers, I don't think that's going to happen. 
No, and and you know better than most, Newell, about you know manpower and and the the amount of manpower it takes to to secure a region, an area, a parish. Um, you know, again, if you look at you know forty troopers, you know if you break that down, yes, that's five troopers per district, <laughs> covering how many shifts. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that that's I don't think anybody um, that that is knowledgeable about you know law enforcement uh, would say that's going to be an adequate uh, amount of people. Sure, it's a start. I mean, it, I it helps. Really, I get it. Yeah. I, I don't mean to be Absolutely. too critical of it, but I do believe that there's a better way of weaving them into this operationally that, that you know, we could judge the effectiveness of it and understand um, the impact of, of troopers being in the city. And I think they have a lot to offer, quite frankly. I'm not being critical yeah. of them at all. No, I, I don't think you are either, but I think that it, it's important to, uh, and particularly for, you know, the, the supporters and, and, and um, you know, detractors of the governor, you can't necessarily just take a look and, and view this through a political vacuum. Um, no. I, I think it would be very easy for, you know, so-called MAGA Republicans to revel in the failures of a blue, a blue-led city, a Democratic-led city like New Orleans, um, and, and that's something that you know you see on social media. You can't you can't fall into that trap if you're in government and if you're governing right now. Um, you know, as a candidate, it's different. Um, as somebody on social media, it's different. Yes, you can you can say you know a lot of democratically led states and a lot of democratically led cities are you know atrocious. Yeah, that's fine and easy. But when you're actually governing and you're the person in charge of making sure that the state operates as it should, um, you need to have investment in a place like New Orleans, because if not for nothing else, the sheer economic engine that it is. Um, and if you're serious about, you know, turning the, the tide of crime here, you're, it's going to take investment. And I don't think anybody in state government at this point is going to say 40 troopers is going to be enough. And again, that's not knocking what there's, there's their initial point and their starting point is, but I don't think anybody in state government is going to say that's going to be sufficient to turn, turn the tide on crime in New Orleans. No, you're so right. And uh, another great podcast. Where can we find it? Uh, Newell, they can find the Tom Report wherever they get their podcast. So if you search for the Tom Report, my name is spelled T H A N H Report. Just search for that wherever you get your podcast on your podcast platforms, and it'll pop up. All righty. Well, thank you so much. Great job as always. Truly appreciate it, Tom. Have a great week. Newell, take care. All righty. We'll be right back, folks. We would love to hear from you. We've got some free time, 504-260-1870. We spent a lot of time talking today about the first special legislative session, the winners, the losers. Um, love to hear from you. How would you grade uh, the performance of the first legislative session? A, B, C, D, F? We'll go to the talk lines when we come back. 504-260-1870 on the Oakland Heart Jewelers Talk and Text Line. Stay with us. This is Newell on WWL. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.